All right, Romans chapter 15. Good morning. Good to have you all here this morning. If you open your Bibles to Romans 15, we're going to read the first seven verses, and then we will get in to see what it has to say to us, what the Lord has for us today. So let me start by reading. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul has given the Roman church likely the most extensive presentations of the gospel ever recorded in Scripture, and he takes up the first 11 chapters articulating the, uh, the horrors of what our sin and rebellion against God has done to us and to one another and to the world we live in. And then in the face of that horror, uh, the beauty of all that God has done for us in Christ crucified. And this gospel he presents, it it is beautiful and breathtaking and totally undeserved. Uh, It is a message spoken into a dark and hopeless situation that is full of grace and truth and mercy and love unending, that God would do for us what he has done in Christ by sending him to take all the wrath that we deserve because of our sin upon himself on the cross so that we might by faith only repent and believe and be washed of our sins and have have everlasting life, not just in him, but with him. This is an astonishing gospel, and it is totally life-changing. And in the last five chapters of Romans, that's the target that Paul is aiming at, instructing the believers in what living in the life-changing power of the gospel looks like, no longer as a self-willed, sinful people, but as a people reconciled to God and to one another by the blood of of Christ. And so in chapter 12, Paul begins by telling the believers what true worship is and what love for one another looks like as new creations. And then in 13, he instructs them how to live as citizens of heaven, as citizens here on earth. And then in chapter 14, he begins to deal with some specific issues that they are struggling with among the church body. Uh, The particular issue he's dealing with has to do with what's acceptable to eat and drink. You see, the Roman church was full of both Jews and Gentiles alike, alike. and so coming from different customs with backgrounds and different traditions, kind of like coming from different families, they were apparently not doing very well on sorting out whose customs to follow. They were judging each other and using their new life in Christ not to serve and help one another and build one another up, but really to help themselves, to reinforce themselves and assert themselves. And so if you can imagine uh, two people that get married, they both come from very different backgrounds, very different families with their own traditions, and when they become one, they have to figure out whose 
traditions they're going to follow. Who gets Christmas? Who gets Thanksgiving? And what do you do at those times? And it has at least the potential to create a little bit of conflict. And that's kind of what we see happening here. Um, The Roman church was kind of a marrying of the Jews and Gentiles all in one, and it was creating divisions how they were dealing with it. And so in chapter 14, Paul begins to instruct them on how to think about and deal with these divisions to live as God's redeemed people. And so one thing we pick up on in chapter 14, that Paul's not really so concerned about where they land on their tradition as he is about how they're treating each other as God's new family, on who they're becoming. And when we get to our passage in chapter 15, here Paul is kind of zooming out a little bit on the particulars to help the, the believers see really the big picture of what's at stake and why it matters that they live together in unity as God's children. And so what does he say is at stake? Look at verse 7 that I just read, the last five words. For the glory of God. That's what's at stake with how they respond. That's what's at stake with how we respond to God's words today. So we're going to be talking about how God's word instructs us to live together as his people who are bought by his blood in this new life, to live as one new family with one father and why it matters It's not simply so that we can get along a little better or enjoy coming here once a week a little bit more, but what's at stake with our fellowship together with how we love and serve and care for one another, it's about something so much bigger than us. It's about the worth, the majesty, the greatness, the brilliance and beauty of God being known and enjoyed among us here and being seen by the watching world community that we have one another is a gift from God where we can experience and love his love and grace and it is a witness to the redemption and the power of the gospel to the world so yes it's certainly for us for our enjoyment our endurance our encouragement in this life but as we will see it's ultimately about God to make much of him so that more can know him and come to him and find life in his name. So today, we're going to talk about what um, this Christian fellowship community looks like, how we can live together in such a way that God's glory is stoked among us and made brighter among us for the watching world to see. And what I want you to walk away believing today is that Christians expend, that means to spend, they expend their lives, they pour their lives out for one another to build one another up, for the glory of God. In other words, how we stoke the fire of God's glory among us so that more can see it and be warmed by his grace. It's by pouring our lives out for each other. So Paul sets this forth in this passage in kind of five different parts that all fit together to help us become this kind of God-glorifying people together. So we'll look at each part and see how they fit together. First, is our obligation. Verses 1 and 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So our obligation, he says, is to bear one another's burdens in order to build one another up. 
So in chapter 14, that's kind of a continuation of this, of what he was saying then. He's been talking about the strong and weak as those who are strong and weak in the faith. And here, what he says is, for those of you who are strong in the faith, you have an obligation not to live a life of pleasing yourself, only taking care of you, but to live a life of helping others, bearing their burdens, specifically those in the church with you, so that they can be built up for their good. Now, the difficulty of this obligation, it's not very hard to see when you put a little bit of thought into it. When you and I come to church who do you typically seek out? Do you typically kind of look for that person that's a little bit stronger than you in the faith to be around so that they can build you up? Or do you look for the person that's weaker? Do you pursue people that have it all together? Or do you look for the person that's as disheveled and as much of a mess as they can possibly come through those doors? That's who I want to be around. You know, I think if we're honest, we look for people who can make our life better, who can make our faith stronger. We come through the doors looking for those who have something to offer us, to help us. We look for a community group where we can be built up. And there's, I'm not, there's merit to this desire. It's good and right to want to grow in Christ. And the passage is clear. That's how God does it. He, he will use the lives of those who are stronger in the faith, even for a season, to bring about that growth. But the obligation that Paul gives here is not go find someone that can pour into you. The obligation is go find someone to pour your life into for their good, to build them up. In verse 14, 19, a chapter back, he said, pursue as in, here's what you're after, what builds others up. And how do we do that? Verse 1 tells us, Paul says, by bearing with their failings. Another version says, bearing with their weaknesses. So Paul is saying, when you gather with God's people, be it at church or at a community group, wherever it may be, what you're looking for, what your eyes are set on, is an opportunity to encourage someone, to build someone else up in the faith. A very short way maybe to say this and remember it is show up to build up. Show up to build someone else up. As kind of an example of maybe this not working so well, I, I recently moved and uh, I have a friend that I was talking about it with, about how many people were helping me because my arm was in a cast. I perfectly planned that move. And he told me that his philosophy on moving was quite simple. He said his rule was to never ask anybody to help him move so that when they move, they won't ask him. And if they did, he would tell him, tell him the rule, drop the mic, walk away, and he's done. He's out of the deal. Basically what the guy's rule was is every man for himself. And that may be a good plan, especially if you have a truck. The problem is, it's not the way God created us to live. God didn't create, create us to live every man for himself. God created us to live every man for another. God, who is love, created us in his image to be like him, to reflect him in love by living a life of giving of self to do good for others. 
That's the very essence of the Christian life. Paul says this so well in two different ways in Galatians. In 6.2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful and all-encompassing statement. How do you take all the do's and don'ts of the Bible and put them under one bold heading that fulfills the whole law of Christ? He says simple, bear each other's burdens. In 5.14, he says it a different way. The whole law, all of it, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So which is it? Bearing the burdens or loving others? Which which fulfills the law? You know the answer. They're one and the same. Loving, Loving others is giving of yourself to bear their burdens for their good. That's the sum total of the Bible. It's deliberately entering into their lives and seeing where they have need or pain or weakness and saying, let me help. Let me carry that. Let me serve you. You don't have to do that alone. I'm here. God is here. God is with you. God loves you. I love you. And I'm beside you. That's God's love in us. That's what fulfilling the law of Christ in shorthand looks like. That's the obligation, Paul says, we have to one another. To bear one another's burdens in order to build one another up. Second, second part is our example. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he gives the obligation and then he says, here's why, Christ. This is what Christ did for us. You know, Jesus had every right all power, and certainly the ability to leave us where we were in our sin, right? He didn't have to leave the Father's side. He didn't have to take on flesh and enter into our mess. He didn't have to put himself under those limits. He didn't, we had nothing to offer him. And at the Father's side, he had everything in the world he needed. He existed in glory. He lived happily in glory, John 17 says. And so he had nothing to gain. But here's what he did for us. Paul says it so well to the Philippians in 2.6. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Christ didn't live to please himself, but he pursued us. He came to us to take our reproaches upon himself on the cross at the greatest of cost so that we might have life. And Paul says that's the mind that we're to have if we're in Christ. And so what Paul's saying here in our passage is Christ didn't please himself. And so because that's who you live in, that's who you're following, don't live to please yourself. Live to please others for the glory of the one who did this for you. Follow your Lord, pouring yourself out to build others up for their good in Christ. That's what ends in glory. And we are, this is, there is a difference between what Christ has done and what we do. We aren't saving people by what we do, right? We're not saving people by what we do. But, this is so important, we can We will be. We are being used by God to bring about his life-saving work. Friends, 
God can use your life as a means to bring about his eternal life in another. You can't save people, I can't save people, but God can and he will do it through your life if you will trust him. Not just that, but essential to following our Lord in his example is seeing why he did this. Why did Jesus come and die for you? Yes, because he loves you, but underneath this why, there's an even greater and more sustaining why that we need to grab hold of before we try to think we can move towards another and do this. Paul quotes Psalm 69.9 here. I'll read the whole verse he refers to. He says, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So Paul uses this prophetic psalm to express the experience of Christ, the reality of why Jesus did this. And he says, the reproaches of those who reproached you, God, have fallen on me, Christ, as in the one Christ was ultimately concerned for by coming to take our reproaches upon himself was God. It was his zeal for and devotion to his worship of God, his Father, and his glory that led Jesus to take our approaches upon himself. In other words, he came to bear your burdens in mind because he was consumed with a love for God first and foremost. And friends, if we would be able to come alongside each other and help each other grow into the fullness of Christ, it, sim- it, it can't be simply because of our love for one another. We're too fickle for that. It won't last. If you try to love me because of me, I'll sorely disappoint you and you'll give up on me and I'll give up on you and I'll run when the going gets tough. We won't make it on our love for one another. No, the only way to love one another like this is follow the example of even the why of Christ. The only why that can sustain a love like this is worship and love and devotion for God. He must be the why that moves us and fuels us to love one another, to care for one another. And it's not just that you'll disappoint me as I try to come alongside you and help you, and I'll disappoint you as you do the same for me. We won't do it all right. We'll mess up a lot along the way. But together, looking to the cross, we know the one who did do it perfectly who never messed up. And we can know that we are so fully forgiven that we don't have to throw in a towel when things get sideways. We can look to the cross and remember that we are forgiven so that we can get back up together again and do it again. And we can trust that Jesus did it perfectly for us. He did what we were unable to do. He gave his life for us, and he will again and again supply our every need as we keep looking at him as the one we are following. Ours is to fix our eyes on Jesus, believe his work, trust in his provision, and follow his example. We look to Jesus together. Third, our instruction Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
The scriptures are our instruction in loving one another like this. Paul has just referenced a verse in the Old Testament. And remember, they didn't have the New Testament yet, so it was in process. So here he references the passages from, a passage from the Old Testament. And then he reinforces why he did that. Because to live this kind of totally otherworldly life, it's not of this world and it's not natural. You're not only going to be able to need to be made new, but you're going to need instruction and encouragement and endurance and hope in order to do it. Now, if you think about these words that Paul's using here to describe um, the purpose of Scripture in this kind of living, it gives us a little bit of understanding of what we can expect if we're going to share our lives like this, if we're going to care for each other and love each other like this. They tell us that shouldering each other's burdens and help each, helping each other carry the weights, weaknesses, and hardships of life, this isn't going to be simple or quick or easy. Have you ever helped somebody move before? What do you do when you show up? Your friends show up, they're like Batman, right? I don't know about you, but when I go, I want to get there, get it done, get out as soon as possible, I'm sweating more than they are. Why? Because I just want to get it done. And if I come to your house to help you move, I don't want to need endurance. I don't want to need encouragement and hope to get the job done. If you have to have a plan that will help me endure when I help you move, you've got too much stuff, right? I want to go hard, be quick, put the stuff in the house, on the truck, get it done, check the box. Now you owe me, right? That's what, that's what we want to do. But Paul's words are very telling here. Loving one another like this isn't going to be that easy. It's not going to be a half day of sweating it out. No, this, this kind of living and loving, it, it truly, it's a new orientation on life. It's a new way of living. And there's going to be so many times you're, gonna, you're not going to know what to do. So you're going to need counsel. You're going to need instruction from the Lord. You're going to want to quit each other. So you're going to need endurance. You're going to get discouraged as you do this. So you're going to need encouragement. And as you pour yourself into helping others, there's going to be times when you're going to feel like, well, this is just hopeless. They're hopeless. They're never going to change. I don't have what it takes. So you're going to need to have your hope renewed. The truth is, I wish you could help me move the junk out of my heart as fast as as you can help me move the junk out of my house, but it just doesn't work that way. Sin is a lot heavier and a lot trickier than any piece of furniture you got to finagle through the door. So you're going to need instruction, endurance, encouragement, and hope to do it. And Paul says, where you turn to get that again and again and again is the Scriptures. The Scriptures are God's holy word given to teach you and shape you by the power of God's Spirit to be transformed, made new, so that you can live out this character, God's holy and loving character in your life. God's Word tells you what to do and His Word and Spirit work in you to bring it about. And I think it's worth noting from this passage that the Scriptures don't just do this as if this is just an impersonal set of instructions. Right? You've probably heard the, the Bible is referenced for like the manual of life before. And there's a little bit of truth to this, of course, but it, it's not enough to call it a manual because at the center of the Bible is not a set of instructions. It's a person. It's the triune God. Notice this in verse 4 and 5. He says that we get endurance and encouragement from the scriptures, right? Then in verse 5, he uses the same words to say that God is the one of 
endurance, and encouragement. And I think the subtle point that Paul is making here is that we don't just go to the Bible to get told what to do, just to get instructions. We go to the Bible to get God, to be taught by God. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And God does this, this through his holy written word, through his word. God is our teacher. He is the one instructing us. That's what the scriptures are for your life. They are how God teaches you and leads you, leads us together to become the kind of people who are like God, imaging God, embodying his character in our lives. Fourth, our power. Verse five and six, may the God of endurance and encouragement Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power in living like this is God, very simply. The truth is, this kind of living we're talking about here where God is this big in us and our worship of him is so full, so consuming that we would leave our places of comfort where we really don't need anybody to pursue one another and pour out our lives for another's good and have the endurance and the encouragement not to make it a half-day run, but to not even give up, to not give in, to live like this is truly a supernatural work of God. It's not that you just need God to give you a new life or you need him to show you how to do it or instruct you. No, the truth is we need God to do this in us. You and I can't do this on our own strength. And so what does Paul do here? He turns to prayer. That's what these verses are. May God. Paul is asking God to do in them what he's instructing them to do. And so, you know, I think when we, when we hear this, When we hear the call to this kind of living, I think there's a couple of natural responses we tend towards. Here's one of them. I can hardly carry the weight of my own life. How am I supposed to help somebody else? And while I get that, I totally do. And I know this is counterintuitive, but have you ever thought that that, that, that's maybe the very reason you struggle to carry your own load? that you're living outside of God's design for your life? God didn't intend you, intend for you to just carry you. Maybe that's why it's so hard to just carry you. Peter said in one of his letters, whoever serves, he serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In other words, we weren't made to live self-sufficiently. We were made to live by the, by the power of God, taking care of more than just ourselves so that in all that we do, who gets the glory? God. The only explanation for how I live like that is God. The second response you might get is this. I got this. You tell me to do that, I got this. Show me somebody who's got a problem. I'll fix that. I can help them. I've done that. I can do it. No problem. The problem with this is really the same as the first. It, It's trusting in self. Neither response accounts for the Holy Spirit who lives in you to do things that only God can do. You know, Romans 8, 11 teaches that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that brought a dead man out of the grave, that's the Spirit that lives in you if you're in Christ. 
Think about that. How powerful is that spirit? Is that powerful enough just to make us nice to each other? No. The spirit that's powerful enough to raise a man from the dead and to give you new life, to give you new life in him, that's the spirit that lives inside of you, enabling you to live in a way and to love others in a way that is beyond your limits. And so to, to live like this, we pray and we act believing that God works through our working in a way that is beyond us. And so how do we pray? Look at Paul's prayer. Paul asked God, grant them to live like this, to love like this. Grant them to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together they would be a people who with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays for them to tune their lives to Christ. One very simple thing, to be one in Christ. This is our instruction for how we pray for each other. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Pray for those in your group. Pray for your group leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Pray for one another this way. Pray that they would become like Christ. That's what I need you to pray for me, and that's what I need to pray for you. That's what Paul is saying. We would be one tune, one note, Christ in us. That's the harmony that we produce because we're all so very different, but Christ in us creates that one song, and that song is this, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for everything that we are. God is the power working in us and through us to love one another like this. Fifth and finally, our response. Verse seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul says, because of all of this, therefore, because of all that I just said, because of what God has done for you, promised you, shown you, given you, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, welcome one another. In our language, it kind of has this tendency to sound casual and a bit momentary, does it not? But what Paul is saying here is anything but that. If you look up an outline of this word he uses, and, and what you'll find is this, to take as one's companion, to take by the hand, in order to lead aside, to take or receive into one's home, to grant access to one's heart, to take to one's self. Friends, what Paul is saying is in light of all that God has done for us in Christ, take each other in. Take each other on. Receive each other. Grab each other's hand. Bear each other's burdens Love one another like this. Love one another so fully and selflessly that the only way for us to explain who we are as a people is God. Christ in us. Friends, God's word today is inviting us to take part and share in the glory who he is. You know, I think a lot of times we, got, we have this tendency, anytime we hear a command 
from God's word or really anybody of something that we need to do, we kind of have this tendency to, to hold our hands up and we kind of think of it as a burden I can't take anymore, like it's just another to do. But friends, think about this. When God is saying to do something for his glory, anytime he's saying to do something for his glory, he's not trying to weigh you down with something that's gonna take life from you. He came to give life to you and he's inviting you to share in the brilliance of his glory in the world. That's what this is. God is inviting you and I to take part in glory. And that's what Christian community does. It not only satisfies us and fills us with joy, but it shows the world the all-satisfying one that we are clinging to and hoping in. And so our response to him and to his word today, let it be only one thing. Let us welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Let us take each other on. And take each other in, trusting that God can and will do something more in us and through us than we could ever do or imagine on our own. And so let me end today with a very practical step. For LifePoint, uh, community groups are how we live this out in our everyday lives. They're where we build these words into the patterns of our lives, shaping our lives around God's word with his people so that we can know him and learn to love each other like this and learn to make his glory known through all of life together. Groups are so essential for how we as the church live for God's glory together. And so let me ask you just very simply, first and foremost, are you in a, are you in a group? If you're not today, I wanna encourage you to start the new year taking a step towards the Lord, get into a group that you can commit to do this with, to learn to live like this with. And if you're in a group, because the truth is you can be in a community group and not be in community, right? If you're in a group, who can you pour your life into in your group? Maybe it's someone you need to invite to group. Maybe it's someone you've been in group with for two years, but who can you, who can you to per, pursue to pour your life into, to expend your life on? I want to invite you to look around the room. Really, look around the room. Um, these are the people that God has called you to lose your life to. The people behind you, in front of you, Will you trust him today? Will you take a step of faith in him? Let this new year for us take perhaps a different shape than all previous years with greater glory by trusting the Lord and pursuing others, not for what they can do for us, but what we can do to pour out our lives for them so that in all, God gets the glory.